Would you pray with me? Lord, I look out here and I see a bunch of people I love. A few I, you know, <laughs> actually, Lord, it's just a beautiful room because it's family and it's friends. And, um, but today, um, I don't wanna be distracted by anything. I wanna be, I wanna just, I don't want any of us to be distracted. I want us to focus, zoom in on the message you have for us. And I really believe you have a message for every one of us. We're in different places with different needs. But I pray that you would open our hearts and just get through, get through exactly what you want, your grace, your love, your message. So help us to hear you. Um, we, are attention, we are at your attention here. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Once again, if you are just tuning in, the CSA Space Shuttle Deliverance has been destroyed. The final mission to save mankind has failed. The 70-mile-wide asteroid, known commonly as Matilda, is set to collide with Earth in exactly three weeks' time and will be bringing you up-to-the-minute coverage of our countdown to the end of days, along with all your classic rock favorites. This is Q107.2. Yes. Uh, anybody seen this movie? It's called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. A few people. Um, <clears throat> it's not a bad movie. It's, it's interesting. The, the premise is kind of what you just saw, which is the idea that the whole world finds out that there are, there's only three weeks left until a 70-mile-wide asteroid obliterates the Earth. So the whole movie is about if you've got three weeks left, what are you going to do with it? and you get to watch people's choices as to how they use their final three weeks. Well, sometimes I feel like the announcer in this clip, actually. I love my job, but it's actually a real party stopper. Um, Meg is out there too, where's Meg? Meg, oh, you're way in the back, come on. <laughs> Meg and I work together. Meg's a social worker, and um, we both work at the Denver Hospice. I work, we both work um, for a palliative care team. I'm a chaplain, and I visit people in their homes who have terminal illnesses, and I try to offer some encouragement and support. In some ways, I guess, I, I guess I'm wa they're watching as a 70-mile asteroid is about to crash into their worlds, and I try to be a friend to them for the end of their worlds. Well, people have some very interesting caricatures of my role as a chaplain. Some see me as the grim reaper, kind of the angel of death type. Others see me as sort of a passive hand patting type. They're there, it'll be all right. Um, but really, that is not how I see my job. I really feel like my job is a calling to call people, to rally people, to be prepared, and to have hope. I like to get people to think about, given that I've got limited time and limited resources, how am I gonna use them? How am I gonna make the most of the rest of my life? So I try to think with people, what's really important in life? How can I take care of unfinished business and really leave well? And how can I find hope in the midst of all this grief and pain? Got quiet, not as funny. It's not, not a, but, it, but there are funny moments. But, <clears throat> but there's, a lot of, there's a lot of heaviness to, to what I do. And in fact, there's a similarity to the hundreds of patients that I've seen over the years. Every one of them has to hear kind of a spectrum of news. 
And the news they have to hear is, all goes something like this. First, they get a diagnosis. This is a sobering truth from an authority. The truth is, you or your loved one has a terminal illness. In my program, a lot of times it's uh, late stage cancer, or it's cardiopulmonary disease, COPD, or congestive heart failure, CHF. And some people have had these diagnoses for a while, for years, but others are just getting fresh news and it's still sinking in. They get this diagnosis. After that, they start, getting, they start hearing about their symptoms. Sort of an explanation, the signs of the progression in their bodies. Let's look at your body and, and the limitations and the weaknesses that you have to accept and deal with. Let's look at how your body used to be in the past and how it is now and how it's probably going to end up being in the future. So that's the symptoms. And then from there, we move on to the prognosis. And a prognosis is just this rough idea of the timeline of the disease. Most people ask, how long have I got? And of course, nobody can really answer that. It's just guesswork. But there is a little bit of a rough estimate you can give based on the symptoms. And in my program, a lot of times in a very crude way, they, they will talk about palliative care patients having maybe a year or so to live and hospice patients maybe having six months or less to live. So <clears throat> that's the news that people get. They get walked through this information and then they get to this final part, which is the response. The response to this diagnosis, how the patient and family responds to this desperate news. And this is where I come in or where, and where the social worker comes in because up to this point, the doctor and the nurse have been the ones mostly laying out the diagnosis and the symptoms and the prognosis. But then they kind of leave the mess with us, right Meg? They leave the mess with, with us to clean up and say, all right, now how are you gonna handle it? And so we get to walk through the responses to this heavy message. And I've seen people respond in a lot of different ways. There's some commonalities though to the, common w the ways that people will respond to really, really desperate news like this. First, there's denial or cluelessness. And this reminds me of my all-time favorite bumper sticker. My favorite bumper sticker of all time, I had to pull over to the side of the road when I saw this. It said, where am I going? And what am I doing in this handbasket? <laughs> um, that's funny to me. I, I mean, I'm a little sick because of my dark humor, but <clears throat> anyway, this is a, a good example of denial or cluelessness. But I've seen times when denial and cluelessness is not funny at all. I was working as a chaplain at the University of Colorado Hospital for a while, and uh, there was a a father who came up from South Africa because his son had come up here to ski and his son was in a skiing accident and now his teenage son was in a coma and I was trying to talk with him and prepare him for, hey, your son might not make it. And he got very angry with me. I get a lot of really good emotion, you know, vented on me. But his, his son got very, or the father got very angry and said, look lady, you don't understand. I will not let my son die. And that was denial. And it was just hardcore denial. And he did die. It was terrible. But that's a common response, is denial. Another common response that I see to desperate news is just distraction and avoidance. 
I've seen a lot of patients and families that I visit, they just distract themselves. Constant TV, constant talking, constant, or just maybe making a joke of everything. If I'm glib and funny, then nothing really serious can happen to me. Anything but quieting down and facing the truth of what's happening. But I've also seen people have a different response. I've seen people have such an impressive response to terrible news like this, courageous, healthy responses where they face their situation and they look at what's happening to them and they really make preparations. They write letters to their children or they make intentional visits to say goodbye to people. They plan their funerals. They make peace with God and with people. These are people that I visit and I'm supposed to be helping them, but honestly, I walk away and I think, well, really, they helped me. They're just inspiring. Now, thankfully, I didn't come here today to talk to you about your health. And I'm sure you didn't come here today to talk about my job. <clears throat> but the reason I brought this up is because I noticed some uncanny connections between this type of scenarios and this type of sobering news and some news that applies to all of us. When I was growing up, every once in a while, I'd be driving with my family down the road and I'd see a crazy bearded man with a sign that says something like, the end is near. And you just kinda you know, roll your eyes and yeah, yeah, buddy, whatever. Um, but Nowadays, it seems like people are talking a lot more about the end of the world. I think people are wondering about it. I have patients and families that I visit that are watching the news and they, and they say to me in earnest, what is happening to our world? And I think it's a topic that people are thinking about. But it's easy to be lulled into thinking that the world will just continue on and on, endless ups and downs, the same as it's ever been, same as it's ever been, Anybody get that musical reference? Thank you, it just came <laughs> um, It could happen again. <laughs> um, but the Bible does say that the world is coming to an end. There will be an end. This, it's not gonna just keep going. However, here's what happens. When this topic comes up about the world ending, it can be very overwhelming, very convoluted, so people just avoid dealing with it. Many people will look at the mysterious book of Revelation or listen to a myriad of conflicting end time theories and say, I can't make sense of all that. With this conclusion, we can conveniently avoid thinking about the end of the world. What's the use? Part of my fun role as a chaplain is to get people to face some very hard truth. Not to depress them, but to prepare them. <clears throat> Regarding the end of the world, rather than argue about how it will happen or when it will happen, I'd like to get to the bottom line. It's going to happen. If the Bible's true, if Jesus' words really are to be trusted, then the world will come to an end and Jesus will come back. So, there's your news. The end of the world's here. <laughs> it's coming. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. But it's, this is heavy news. This is, this is the diagnosis that I'm laying out for you to take it or leave it. Each one of us gets one of two diagnoses. We either get, uh, I'm going to die, or Jesus is coming back. I'm going to have to face one or the other. The details are to be determined. But either way, the, the point is still the same. The time is limited. And am I prepared? Do I have hope? And with my limited time and resources, am I making the most of the rest of my life? 
There's a passage from the Bible that references the end of the world and gives some insight on how we can respond wisely to Jesus' return. In fact, it's a passage that I gave you. Hopefully everybody has it on a little sheet of paper. The point of having it on a little sheet of paper is because I'd like you to take it home and meditate on it on your own because there's a lot here to think about. Anybody, if there's anybody that needs one, raise your hand and we'll get some to you. Um, Vance needs one here. And oh, we need a couple. If there's somebody in the back who could bring up a few of these copies, raise your hand because I want to make sure you all have them. And we're going to read this together. You can look at it up on the screen, I, I think. Um, but we're gonna come back and back to this, so um, let us know if you need one of these. There's a few more over here, too. Yeah, get one to Peter, please. <laughs> Francis Vance need one, needs one, too. Anybody else? Oh, in the very back, there's some people that need them. Keep your hands up, we're gonna make sure you get them. <laughs> this is the Francis. <laughs> Thank you, Francis, very much. And in the very back, Francis, I see some other hands. And way over to the side. Are there some on this side too, maybe, in the back? Hey, Mac, do you wanna grab some in the back and hand it to this gentleman in the back? Oh, Santino needs one too. Good, well, hey, take your time. Take your time, I've got all day. <laughs> um, actually, what we're gonna do is we're gonna read, these, read this passage out loud together to get it in our hearts, in our minds, in our mouths. If you would read loud and proud, I can see you if you're not reading, so I'm just letting you know. Uh, so help me out here. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Good, thanks. We'll keep coming back to these verses and we're gonna look at this news, the news of Jesus coming back through a parallel grid to the news to the grid that I showed you with the palliative care patients. The first idea is this idea of diagnosis. Here's the heavy news. The sobering truth from an authority. This time it's the Bible. Our world is terminal, but we have hope because Jesus is returning. In this Titus passage we just read, the word appear shows up twice. God's grace that brings salvation has appeared to all people. This is the message we just heard over Christmas. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. God's salvation is not a plan, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. So that was the first appearing, and now we're waiting for the second appearing of Jesus. But we've been waiting for a long time. Is his return finally getting close? Is the end of the world really near? Just like my patients who have to have the information kind of laid out clearly for them to believe it, I'm gonna try to lay it out for you as well, starting with the symptoms. The symptoms are the idea of an explanation of the progression of what's going on. You can take a look at the condition of the world and you can look at how the world used to be and how the world is now and how it looks, where it looks like it's heading. 
People that are looking around a lot of times can see that our world is changing, declining, becoming more evil, becoming more of a scary place to raise children. But why even bother looking at the symptoms and wondering if the end is coming? Some people just think, well, you know, if it come, when it comes, it comes, just surprise me. But when I look at this, these words from Jesus and Luke up there, I, I get this feeling that Jesus is telling his followers, in, including us, to pay attention. You can take a look at this passage with me. These are Jesus' words. It says, the courage of many people will falter because of the fearful fate they see coming upon the earth. Because the stability of the very heavens will be broken up, then everyone will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand straight and look up, for your salvation is near. So Jesus says, when all these things begin to happen, when all what things begin to happen? In Matthew's account, the Gospel of Matthew, there's another account of this same conversation between Jesus and his followers. And there's a long passage where Jesus uh, kind of gives an idea of uh, some symptoms that might make us pay attention. Well, hopefully will make us pay attention. I'm gonna read this a little bit like they read the uh, side effects when you hear, hear a drug on the, uh, when they're explaining it on a TV commercial and it's like, you know, like, so hang in there with me. See, as I'm reading this, if you can hear something, notice anything that reminds you of some world news that you hear um, on news reports. Jesus, here's a passage from Matthew. Later, Jesus sat on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and asked, when will all this take place? And will there be any sign ahead of time to signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah. They will lead many astray, and wars will break out near and far, but don't panic. Yes, these things must come, but the end won't follow immediately. The nations and kingdoms will proclaim war against each other. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this will be only the beginning of the horrors to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because of your allegiance to me. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will lead many people astray. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But those who endure to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it. And then finally, the end will come. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. And then at last, the sign of the coming of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the nations of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a sound of a mighty trumpet blast, and they will gather together his chosen ones from the farthest ends of earth and heaven. Are you awake? Yeah. I mean, these are, these are big words that Jesus is saying. And if you listen to these words closely and compare the condition of our world right now, you'll see that many of these indicators he mentions are happening right around us. Wars and famines and earthquakes, natural disasters, strife, trouble between nations. However, however, um, did anybody, a <laughs> uh, Tommy Boy reference, anybody ever see um, 
the part in Tommy Boy where it says, you have derailed. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> and uh, you have derailed. And this is exactly the type of passage um, where people start to derail from the real point that I'm trying to get across because people start going in all different directions with this and they, say, they start arguing and having different theories and different ideas about how it's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen, and they, get, they wrestle with these things. I think it's great to wrestle with these things on your time. Um, go home and read these passages for yourselves. Um, but my purpose today, um, in, in the work I do, I'm a bottom line kind of person, and so it kind of bleeds over into a lot of things, but the bottom line of this is not so much how or when Jesus is coming back, but that he is coming back, and what's my response supposed to be to that? Before we get to the response part, um, we'll briefly look at the prognosis. Prognosis, again, is this rough idea of the timeline to the end. So some of us wonder, why even bother? Why wondering when Jesus is returning? Uh, but you know, the symptoms can, that tell us about his return can motivate us and activate us to be prepared, to be alert, to be awake. And as we look at these other words from Jesus, um, it gives me that same feeling that while it makes it clear that nobody knows the exact time or hour, it makes me think that Jesus wants us to wake up and pay attention. So <clears throat> check out Jesus' words here. He says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its buds become tender and its leaves begin to sprout, you know without being told that summer is near. Just so, when you see the events I've described beginning to happen, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will remain forever. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So Jesus is clear. You, you, we aren't gonna know the exact day or the exact hour, but it reminds me, I was talking about this last night, about when someone is pregnant. And Michael was talking to me about, he said, I could totally relate, I didn't hear anything else in the whole sermon, but I did hear that, uh, <laughs> of when his wife is pregnant and very close to giving birth. The idea when someone is pregnant is that you don't know the exact day or the exact hour, but if you're paying attention, you can get pretty close to noticing when it's going to happen. So, uh, so if you're smart, you'll get ready, you'll be prepared. So we have this diagnosis. The end is near. The world's coming to an end. Jesus is coming back. That's the diagnosis. And then we've walked through some of the symptoms and the prognosis. But the real part that I wanted to get to is this next part. Um, it's this idea of how are we going to respond um, when, uh, when, we, when this information sinks into us. Another bumper sticker I saw <laughs> uh, that made me laugh said, um, Jesus is coming, dot, dot, dot. Look busy. <laughs> um, anyway, that's one response is to look busy. Um, but there's some other responses that are just kind of 
the same type of response as you get to any bad news or any, not bad news, because this is good news, but any heavy news, any life-changing, the end is near kind of news. And so the same type of thing can happen to us. In fact, when you all walk out of here today, some of you will probably have each one of these responses. Uh, The first one is the idea of denial or cluelessness. Um, Going back to the movie we started with, all the characters know that there's a countdown to the end of the world when the asteroid's gonna hit and destroy the Earth. The main character, Dodge, comes home to find his housekeeper finishing up for the week, and he tries to have a realistic conversation with her. Listen, Elsa, you don't have to come next week, or, you know, ever, if you don't want to, it's okay. You fighting me? Oh, no, 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 I just... Is this because I don't watch TV with you? No, no, I, uh, I just thought considering... There's just no need to... Nothing, forget it, it's fine. There are windows. More windows, got it. See you next week, Mr. Dutch. Okay, I regret my entire life. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye now. <laughs> so there's a, just, a, just a wee bit of uh, cluelessness or denial going on here. I actually love the stink eye she gives him. You know, just like, what? You firing me? Mm-mm. So, um, but here's the thing. Some people like to stay in denial because they want things to just stay familiar. They don't want to face that things are changing. So they would just rather cling to their normal routines. Another thing that, another type of response, uh, probably the biggest one that I see, uh, especially to this news, would be just the idea of distracting ourselves and avoiding the topic. And so, just sometimes it's easier to just make a joke of it. I, I can fall into this category. Just be flippant. Things can be funny. Um, in this next clip, we see Dodge with his neighbor Penny, and they're dealing with this end of the world stuff, and this is how they're dealing with it. So. So. What are you doing with the rest of your life? Oh, um, little of this, little of that. Probably. Catching up on some me time, find God, maybe move around some chairs. Well, maybe I'll run into you at a support group or a, or an orgy or something. Yeah, that sounds nice. So just a little bit of, you know, keep it light, keep it casual, gonna move around some chairs, etc. There's lots of things we can do to keep ourselves busy and to not think about things that are important, not think about things that are really heavy. We can do this in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, further on in this, as this progresses, this movie, Dodge and Penny become friends and, and they're using their last three weeks together. They decide they wanna go get a mudslide, a, a sort of a milkshake type of thing at a, and they stop and they get to see how other people are distracting themselves. Guys, I'm rolling pretty hard right now, but if you two keep it super positive, I will bring you those M slides and maybe an order of spin dip for the table. That is amazing, and do you know what? It's his birthday today. Why didn't you tell me that? Happy birthday! <laughs> 
that this place is some sort of cult and we probably shouldn't need it. Oh, you're crazy. This is amazing. Look, people are sitting down together. Everybody's happy. Hey, there's a conga line. Just a little bit of distraction there. Just a little bit. They're, it, they're living by the maxim, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. Exactly. So, um, but here's the thing. These are a few responses that some people have, some of you might have, um, after you hear this information today. But there's a wiser way. There's a different way that we could choose to be prepared, to, be, to respond to this, this news. People, there are a lot of people who are, nowadays, there's getting to be people who are actually preparing for catastrophes, preparing for the end of the world. These are not called preppies, these are called preppers. Anybody hear of preppers? These are people who are, get really hardcore survivalists. And um, some of you might know that, I don't think that's crazy. I think it's actually a pretty good idea to get some things in line, to get yourself prepared in case some catastrophe happens and you need to be ready, you need to have gear, etc. But um, the idea behind preppers is that idea of preparing for the end of the world or some catastrophic thing going on, that's really physical preparation. And what our scripture is talking about today is talking about spiritual preparation. It's more of a condition of our hearts than anything else. So if we looked back at this Titus passage that, that we've uh, checked out already, we can see some very simple, clear things about how we can respond to the news that the end of the world is coming, that Jesus is coming back. If I had to succinctly say this from the Titus passage, I would say, here's how we should be responding. Say the right no's, say the right yeses, wait with hope. There you have it. If you look a little more clearly in the passage, it says, we are to learn to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives and be eager to do what is good. We are to wait with hope for the blessed hope. Well, there you have it. Say no to the wrong choices, say yes to the right choices. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like church? Make sure you say the right yeses and the right noes. Reminds me of the law. You know, the law can force or demand that we make the right yeses and then make the right noes, and it can crack the whip if we don't. But the Bible tells us we are no longer living under the law. So God's not looking for us to be whipped into shape by the law as we wait for Christ's return. So we know what we're supposed to be doing, but how are we supposed to be doing it? What can help us get ready? Isn't there some kind of secret ingredient that can help me do these things, say the right no's, say the right yes's, wait with hope? There must be some secret ingredient in this passage. Take a look and see if you find it. What can help us do this? It's not the law. What do you think it is? Take your time, I've got all day. Oh, who said it? Oh, Kelly, you get the prize. Was that you? You get the prize afterwards. And maybe Jill echoed it. <laughs> the secret ingredient for all of this is grace. Um, in fact, if you start reading that, that Titus passage again, it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no. It. That's a big It. I used to be an English teacher and you have to pay attention to the pronouns, you know? The antecedent to that it is the grace of God. It's grace. To be prepared, we have to be living in grace because only grace can help us say the right no's with our lives and the right yeses. Grace is a big word to me. If you hang around me in my personal life, you would know that I 
bring up grace a lot. Maybe I need it a lot, so I bring it up a lot. I could actually preach a whole sermon just on grace, um, so come back. <laughs> um, but go home and, and, and meditate on it. Go home and dig into it for yourself because it's much bigger than you can imagine. Grace is huge. It, it changes everything. And if I, I don't, certainly don't have it all figured out, but I know it's important. And if I know that if I live in grace, that I can be ready for anything. I wanna uh, t- have you take a look at the definition of grace and you can ignore the first, well, the first set of letters that looks like something, it was actually a Greek word. The Greek word is charis and that means grace. But listen to how big this concept of grace is. Here's some definitions of grace. That which gives joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, loveliness. Or goodwill, loving kindness, favor or the merciful kindness by which God exerting his holy influence upon souls turns souls to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues, or a gift of grace, benefit, reward. Here's the idea with grace. It's too big. How can you possibly get your head around that idea? It's, it's big, it's more than just a word. I would say grace is like an underlying attitude that controls how we live, sort of like an operating system. If you know what an operating system, which I really don't, um, but it, it does control everything. Glenn, did you hear that? That was a computer joke. That was, <laughs> um, Anyway, the, um, the idea of it, if you can get the idea that grace is sort of like an operating system that affects everything, if that's what we're living under, it changes the way we live. We're under the gift of God's favor, his kindness that can turn and kindle our souls. The more we learn about grace, the more prepared we'll be. It's grace that can help us say yes and no with a completely different attitude than the law. Grace teaches us, not forces us to say no to the bad. Grace doesn't make us compliant or cooperative to do the good. It makes us eager to say yes to the good. The more this grace permeates us, the easier it will be to say yes and no to the things that please the Lord and that prepare us for Christ's return. There's one more connection to this movie, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. I liked this movie up to a point. I was excited, I was looking at this and I was watching the main character and, and I was thinking, good for you, Dodge. Um, I don't even usually like this actor, but, but you know what? Um, in this movie, he started doing a few good things. He started, he reconciled with his estranged father. He sacrificially helped out a new friend. He sought out a, a first love and he tried to clean up unfinished business. And as I was watching, I thought, good for you, Dodge. This is, this is a good way to use your last three weeks, weeks of life. But here's what happened. The end was terrible. The end just dropped the ball. And spoiler alert, I'm about to spoil the ending for all of you who have not seen this. This is the very end of the movie we're gonna take a look at. And while you're watching it, I want you to try to figure out why did Kathleen hate this ending, okay? What do we do now? I just wanna lie here with you. I just wanna talk to you. What are we gonna talk about? Where'd you grow up? Well, 
born in Surrey. My whole family are from there. Mm. Uh, my mum was a journalist before she married my dad. They never fought, or at least we never heard them fight. Charlie's the oldest, then Benny, then me. We had a sister, but she died when she was born. I still think about her. Oh, God. What's her name? What was your sister's name? Patricia. Patricia Hope Lockhart. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful name. I wish I'd met you a long time ago. When we were kids. Couldn't have happened any other way. Had to happen now. But it is enough time. missing there anybody notice what was what was missing just yell it out you know yeah in the back there say that again all of what is all of what falling in love is salvation mmm that's a good point Santino What? He didn't have a heart. And he did. He cared, but he didn't care. Ah, didn't have, didn't have a heart. Well, his heart wasn't ready, that's for sure. Um, good. Thank you, Santino. Very, what, what else was missing from this? Take your time. I've got all day. <laughs> oh, I don't mind. I, I, I think Francis is awesome. When, who said that? Right there. Ah, very good. No hope. Thank you very much. Anybody else? No, no hope. Anything else? Well, I, it, it acted like that was the end of love when it's just the beginning of love. <sighs> nice. No hope, no future. Okay? I, I thought patting you on the head, telling you, you know, let's just focus on the present. Let's focus on the past. Let's focus on the present because there is no future. Um, no hope. No future. And I thought, come on, that's all you've got? Because that is not the good end of a story. And that is not the end of our story. No way. Because here's the final way that we're prepared that we see in Titus. The final way we can be prepared is to be waiting with hope. And it talks about waiting for the blessed hope. But here's the thing, this, this word in the Greek, waiting for, is so rich that I want you to take one look at, at what all this means because this is how we are supposed to be positioning ourselves in our hearts for Jesus' return. See if this is you. See if this is your heart as I explain this word for, to you. Prostekomai means wait for, but here's what it means. 
It means to receive to oneself, to admit, to give access to oneself, to receive one into companionship, to receive one coming from someplace, to accept, to not reject a thing offered, to expect the fulfillment of promises, to look for, to wait for, to receive, to take, to accept. Now that is how we're supposed to be waiting for the return of Christ. And that's a question you can ask yourself. Is that your heart? Do you have a heart like that that's wide open, that is expecting, that is open, that's giving access to Christ, that's, that's just wide open with eagerness and delight and readiness, like just come anytime, Lord, here I am. That is how we're supposed to be waiting. There's supposed to be a sense of fullness and excitement, just like talking about waiting for a baby to come, where it's like this, you were pregnant with hope, we're filled with this. And when we live in grace, our hearts are waiting for Jesus just like this. And in fact, when we're, when we're living in grace like this, the, we, we can't get this off our minds. It's always gonna be on our radar somewhere. It's always gonna be reminding us. When I visit my patients um, and their families, it's, it's always on their mind that, there's, that time is short and that, that things are about to change. And this is the kind of thing when we really believe that Jesus is returning, we wait with this kind of expectancy and hope. Uh, when I think about this, um, it, well, it makes me think about the big picture. This is another, another part of waiting, is it always reminds you that no matter what's happening down here in the small picture, this is the big picture. And it helps us to wait with hope. It reminds me of the old tune. If you grew up in the church, you probably remember the old tune that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Because it's like everything else is trumped by the fact that, you know what, no matter what's happening, Jesus is coming back. And, and that makes everything different. And it gives us hope. My hope is for you, when you walk out of here, that, um, <clears throat> that you don't, uh, well, that you don't just go rent the movie or that you don't remember random things. My hope is that you don't avoid or deny. My hope is that you respond and that this starts to be part of your permanent radar. Jesus is coming back, he really is, and it's probably soon. We don't know exactly when, but there's a lot of signs. And I should be ready. And I should have my heart open with hope and I should be living in grace. I really hope that that's the way you walk out of here. In my job, many times people have said to me, <clears throat> I could never do what you do. I've told them that the only reason I can deal with constant suffering, desperation, grief, and death is because I really, really believe in hope. The hope of Jesus, the hope that he's coming back the hope that we will be reunited in heaven. The Apostle Paul writes, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then we are of all people most miserable. So we are not waiting for the end of the world with dread or fear or even confusion and arguments. We're certainly not waiting like Dodge and Penny, holding hands and trying not to think about what's coming. We're waiting with delight and eagerness. We're waiting for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we believe this, the Lord wants us to announce it today. Don't get scared, 
but um, there is a passage that talks about us announcing um, his death. And um, I'm gonna have us read this actually together as we prepare for communion. Would you read this aloud with me? For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. Nicely done, by the way. I'm, I'm busy up here, you know. Um, I like the last part. Sometimes there's different, different passages where it talks about um, the, the sacrament of communion. But what I like about this one is I like that last part where it says, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. It's just that little reminder that we're in communion. We're looking at the past, at what at Christ died in the past. We're looking at the present, that we need him now. We need his grace now. But we're also looking at the future, that he's coming back. Ready or not, here he comes. Um, so when you come to receive this, please, come, please feel free to pass it by if, you, if, this isn't, if you're not ready for this and you don't believe this. But if you believe this and wanna announce it today, come and receive this grace. Tear a piece of the bread, dip it into uh, the dark cups or wine and the light cups or juice. And um, take that, receive that blessed hope. Well, Jesus is coming back. Yeah. He really is. He really is. How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to respond to that? Your choice. Your choice. I just pray that you go with that grace and that you are full of preparation, deliberate, sober-minded preparation, but also with a heart full of hope, just wide open, full of hope. That's my prayer for you. So go in that grace and in that hope.